Welcome to the Inspiring Music Teachers Podcast, where we connect music educators with the business tools, entrepreneurial skills, and encouragement they need to turn their talents, skills, and passions into a business that fits their life goals. On this podcast, we'll be showcasing musicians and other creative entrepreneurs who have found ways to make it happen and digging into the big questions facing music teachers in their entrepreneurial journeys. My name is Jessica Dutton. I'm a musician, teacher, business owner, professional pep talker, and mom of three. I help music teachers develop the business skills and strategies they didn't learn in school to achieve their dreams of starting their own businesses. I'm here to get you inspired and connected with the answers and ideas you need to launch and run your own successful music business. And no matter what stage of the journey you're at, I'm here cheering for you. Our guest today is Kelly Surrett. Kelly is the author of the book, Creative Miracles, A Practitioner's Guide to Adaptive Music Instruction. Kelly is an adaptive music instructor, performer, and composer. Her book is about her experience over the last decade teaching music to students with special needs and those who are deaf and hard of hearing with disabilities. She also has an active blog that focuses on all things music teacher, teaching music to special needs, how to make your music school more inclusive, and other topics important to today's music teacher. Today my guest is Kelly Surrett. Kelly is an adaptive music instructor who specializes in working with students who are deaf and hard of hearing. Kelly is going to challenge your understanding of what these students are capable of in the music classroom. I know I'm definitely guilty of underestimating what my students with special needs, and especially those who are deaf and hard of hearing, are capable of doing when it comes to music. Sometimes I wonder if we really believe that music is for everyone. But Kelly is going to inspire you to reach these students in a whole new way and to open your classroom to students who you may have thought didn't belong there. Kelly teaches music as an all-inclusive art. It's not just sound. It's physical. It's vibrations. It's movement. It's all sorts of things that speak to students no matter where they are in their developmental abilities. She'll be providing some great tips for meeting your students where they are and helping them to experience music in a way that is profoundly moving for them and for you to give a child who has never really experienced music the gift of creating it, of understanding it, of experiencing it. That is a powerful, powerful tool. And Kelly has some tips and help and inspiration that she's providing here in this interview and also in her upcoming book, Creative Miracles. I think you're going to find that she has a great resource of practical tips that you can use in the classroom and inspiring stories that will encourage you to open your music classroom door to everyone. Whether you're working in a group classroom or a private setting, every student deserves the chance to experience music. And Kelly's going to equip us today with the mindset that we need to make that happen and with some tools to understand how to better reach these students. 
Now, I will warn you that this interview with Kelly was the first one that I actually did when I was uh, preparing this podcast. So it was all new. I was still figuring out the audio and um, all the technicalities of it. And, uh, you know, as we go through these these episodes over the next couple of months, you'll see that I, I hopefully have learned a little bit as we've gone. Um, but I appreciate your patience tuning in and um, listening to my learning curve over here. I hope that the content is valuable enough that it's worth your time and provide something useful for the work that you're doing. As a side note to those of you who are listening in real time, we are having a free masterclass in our Facebook group, the Music Teacher Business Launchpad, and we are covering design basics. If you are just starting out as an entrepreneur, you will find that Uh, Until you can afford to hire your own graphic designer, you are kind of the main man there. And so we're going to be talking about some tools that we use and and kind of walking through some of those programs and just a basic understanding of how that process works. We're also going to be covering the idea of visually branding your materials. And we'll be talking with Instagram cool guy, Chronicles of Teacher Tay about using video and editing and preparing video to share in a meaningful way. All of those courses are free. They will be up in our Facebook group live October 8th through 13th. And then after that, they'll be available in that group for two weeks after if you'd like to catch that on the replay. And if you're needing some extra support and accountability in your business development, I will be hosting a small group mastermind in November and December where we're going to really dig in to your business plan, your goals, and the strategies to get there. In these mastermind groups, I will be facilitating a meeting with like-minded business people who are preparing their own growth plans, starting new businesses, or developing the strategies that they need to continue to be successful. If you've been looking for some accountability for growing your business or for even getting it started, then this mastermind is a great opportunity to talk with people who are going to tell it to you straight, to get real feedback that you can apply to the work that you're doing right now. The spots in this group are limited and it is by application only. So if this is something you think would be helpful for you, you can join our Facebook group, Music Teacher Business Launchpad. Or follow me on Instagram at Music Business Mom for more information. Or you can find us at www.musicbusinessmom.com to access the application. And without further ado, let's welcome Kelly Surrett. Here today with Kelly Surrett. Welcome, Kelly. Thank you. We're so excited to have you. Kelly has been working with the um, deaf and hard of hearing community, especially, but is doing some really great work connecting music educators with special needs resources to help us to better reach those communities and understand the students who will benefit from music in new ways that maybe they haven't before. So Kelly, tell me a little bit about where you're, where you're working now, the work that you're doing with students. So I work at a school for the deaf as well as a school for students with special needs. I have two different sides to the school and one of the sides specifically supports students with special needs. And then the other side supports deaf and hard of hearing individuals with disabilities. And what brought you to this 
specific niche of music education? A long history working with students with special needs kind of got me to this point. But the school I work at now was really my first opportunity to work with the deaf and hard of hearing community. What do you think music educators need to know when they are working with students, whether they're in a, you know, a general population or whether they're working specifically with students with a specific need? What are some things that maybe your average music educator isn't doing well when they're trying to serve these students? Sure. Um, Are you speaking specifically about students with special needs or deaf students? Let's focus right now on our deaf students. With students who are deaf, I think the most important thing to remember is that, you know, I view my job as being relentless in the pursuit of each individual student's relationship to music. And I kind of view myself as sort of that touch point or that bridge between music and their relationship. And I think that what's important to remember is just how much these students are capable and want to have a relationship with music. I mean, music is a piece of our history, our culture. It is interwoven into our bodies, through our heartbeats. It is not only a auditory, it is not only for auditory consumption. It is, it is for your full whole body. I love that. Um, I, I wonder if you could tell us maybe a couple of ways you have seen music impact specific students that you've worked with. So one particular student always comes to mind when I get asked this question, and it was her interaction with a what's called a tactile audio device. These are devices that use your skin as a hearing membrane in the same way that your cochlea in your ear processes sound. Um, And I remember distinctly her, she's probably about 11 years old or so, little blonde haired, adorable little peanut who just loved vibrations. Like any opportunity that she had to like hold a speaker up to her face or lay on a speaker. I mean, she would just, she had what like could only be described as like a spiritual relationship with this, these vibrations. Mm-hmm. And I remember her sitting down to feel the tactile audio devices for the first time. And we played her favorite song. And like, I get emotional just thinking about it because her just, I mean, it was like she was experiencing music for the first time ever and you could see just in her face and her smile and I mean she went from like this very serious expression to like just pure joy pure bliss oh I just um yeah it was it was beautiful I'll never forget it it was beautiful Oh, and, and that's you, what you live for, right? That's, that's right. what we live yes. for. Yeah. And, that, <laughs> you know, and, to, and I think sometimes we can lose sight of that magic, you know, but the idea that someone has never really experienced music in a way that, that we have, but that, that that's possible to share it with them. Absolutely. That's huge because I think, you know, if we have a deaf or a hard of hearing student in our class, we can think like, you know, they're just here because they have to be here and not that there's something really unique and special that as a teacher, you can share with them. Oh, absolutely. I mean, 100%. I think all you have to do as a music teacher when you're working with deaf and hard of hearing students is flip your own personal switch Mm. to how you view music. Um, Instead of paying attention to, you know, the auditory, you know, response that you have, 
start to feel it through your fingertips. I mean, put your headphones in and like close your eyes and feel where the music resonates in your chest and like flutes are whispering in your shoulders and violins or, you know, through your whole body. I mean, it, it's, it's, it changed working with the deaf and hard of hearing students changed my relationship to music. I mean, I now experience music as this like ultra healing um, thing for my whole body and my whole being. And that's how these students taught me to see it. You know what I mean? So I think you're absolutely right. I think it's so important to remember that we have something to offer deaf and hard of hearing students. It is not, music is not only a, you know, for the hearing club. It is for everyone of every walk of life. And it really, and I think sometimes we say that it's a cliche, you know, right? Music's for everyone, but do we really believe it? You know, are we doing what we need to when we have a mixed population in our classes? Are we doing what we need to, to reach those extra students who, who we might write off, you know, whether it's because they have a special need or a disability or a behavioral issue, you know, that music is really for each one of them. And I love Absolutely. Yeah. And so you, you specialize in adaptive music, right? Yes. So Tell me a little bit about what's wrapped up in all that. Absolutely. So I think that, you know, from from my perspective, it's really taking a multi-sensory approach to the work. The work that I do with deaf and hard of hearing students is just as beneficial for students with autism and students with Down syndrome because they learn in unique ways and they process things in different ways than their typically developing peers. So providing multisensory opportunities for them to engage with music really opens up a whole new world for how they connect to it. Now, I mean, I think for students with special needs, you know, music is not just a way in. Oftentimes it is the way in. Mm -hmm. It is the thing that you know, helps them to grow and, you know, develop personally and artistically. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's, that's how I view it. And I approach my teaching, um, really looking at three different senses, you know, your eyes, your ears, you know, and your touch, the sense of touch. Um, And if I can provide options for all of those things, then I've created a lesson that's accessible to all the different varying degrees of learners that I have in my classroom. And I have, I mean, I have tremendously varied classrooms. I have students that, you know, are super high functioning and can can sign me out of the box. I mean, they're just amazing signers mm-hmm. and amazing communicators. And, you know, then I have students who are in wheelchairs who, you know, can only respond with forced choice questions, a yes or no response. They use their head to press a head switch or their eyes to communicate yes or no. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have these varied, I mean, and some of these, these kids are in the same class. <laughs> um, so I have to figure out a way to reach all of those learners. And I think that by taking a multi-sensory approach, I open up the opportunities for all of them. Oh, I love that. Because when I think about adaptive music, I think about mallets that fit on someone's hand when they can't, you know, like I think, about oh, sure, that's a part of it. Things, but I, yep. I've never really thought about how am I approaching 
what I'm teaching in a way that suits such a wide variety of needs. Yeah. And it, it it's definitely, like you said, the, the mat, the adaptive mallets and the, you know, the, the unique ways of holding things and the touch sensitive boards and things like that are all, you know, a huge piece of adaptive music, but it's so much more than that. It is adaptive music is is about figuring out how to make a genuine connection to each individual student in order to bridge that gap to their relationship to music. And so to do that, you have to present music in a way that is catered to their individual needs. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that takes learning your students, that takes thinking outside the box, like significantly outside the box. I mean, I remember I had a student, you know, come to me once and she had no arms and no legs, but Mm. she came to me for a piano lesson. And I was, you know, (laughs) I'll be very honest with you. When she like rolled her wheelchair through my door, I was like, I don't know where to begin here because, you know, you, you would think, you know, no arms, no legs. Mm -hmm. We don't have fingers. How are we going to play the piano? And, but with the commitment to believing that every student deserves a relationship to music, that's where I was able to look past, you know, what might be considered a barrier um, and help her. We hoisted her up. She used her extra, you know, her limbs mm-hmm. to play one bass note at a time. And we played some nights by fun. She played the bass line and she actually ended up auditioning for her school orchestra and was, was accepted as a baseline piano player. Oh, so, yeah. That's amazing. And yeah, to, have, to have a teacher who believes that you can do it, you know, because there would be a lot of people who, when that student came into the classroom would say, you, you can't do this, you know, that, that there's not an opportunity here for you, but to be able to think outside the box enough to see how can I make this something that you can participate in? I mean, that's just a gift, not only, you know, a, a talent that you have, but a gift to that child to have that experience. I, you know, I think that there was a piece of me that said, is there a possibility that maybe just there are certain aspects of music that are not for everyone and I was like you know what though I don't want to live in a world where that's true you know so I just was like all right we're gonna buck up we're gonna do this we're gonna figure it out um and we did you know and that's what I do every day with my students I just you know we figure out a way and I don't give up There's a lot of individual learning in a group setting um, because of the fact that, you know, you have to create opportunities for each individual to communicate in their own best way. But there are also opportunities for group work as well um, in my classes. But I think that we take, I take my time with each student and give them the time they need to be successful. And and that's so important, you know, that you, you have to know your students, you know, and, and get a new group every year. You have to learn them all over again. And, and they change, even if you get returning students, it takes that, that time and attention to really, um, to really figure that out. Now, if someone has a, um, an an interest in this, they want to learn more about it. I, I see that you have a book that's coming out. Can you tell us a little bit about that? 
Sure. So um, my book is called Creative Miracles, A Practitioner's Guide to Adaptive Music Instruction. And it's, it's a dual, um, it's a dual book. It really looks at a practical guide, practical strategies for how to adapt music for unique populations. But it's also a love story. It's a love story of my love for music and how I have used that love in my life to transform these students on the deepest level Mm. um so I think it's definitely you know if you're looking for that super practical guide with those like really clear tips for ways you can make changes today that is in the book but it's also meant to inspire because the heartbeats of my students are just the stories and the experiences that I've had with them are just sprinkled throughout the entire book, illustrating why these strategies work. Um, and so I think it's it's a cool kind of double double experience. Oh, gave me gave me goosebumps with your <laughs> description there. I just love that. So so getting practical tips and also just the stories and experiences that you've had. Now, is this for a, um, specifically a classroom teacher or a private studio teacher? How could, who would benefit most from this, these tips? So so it really is designed to cater to a wide variety of audiences. Um, So I think for, you know, obviously the, the most obvious audience is a music teacher, specifically if you want to become an adaptive music teacher and specialize in that. Um, this book is for you. If it's if you are a general education music teacher and are looking for strategies to work with the one or two students you might have in your classes, those are available in there as well. It is also for the, I mean, I spent a long time, many years teaching private lessons to students with special needs. So there is a component for that. Mm-hmm. I would also say that the book as an aspect of, um, how to integrate music into the academic classroom, as well as integrate music into students' daily lives. So it's also for the special education teacher, as well as a parent or caregiver of a student with special needs. Um, And lastly, I would say that the book is actually really great for someone who is in administration Mm -hmm. to read as well, because I think there's kind of this like mystery around adaptive music and some administrators are getting it right. And some administrators are missing the boat on what they should be doing to support their students. And I think, you know, some administrators are bringing that like well-meaning, well-intentioned guitar sing-along guy mm-hmm. and saying they have music education. And, you know, that's not the same thing as a fully developed music education program. Other, you know, other special needs facilities and schools are bringing in music therapists, which is really a great complement to a music education experience, but not the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a healthcare profession. Music education is an academic, you know, study um, that all students should have the right to access. Um, so I think this book also offers something for administrators who are trying to figure out what should I be expecting from this adaptive music teacher I've hired what should I be looking for in a candidate? What kind of work should I be seeing them doing with their students? 
Mm-hmm. That just sounds like an, a great resource, you know, because I know that I wasn't trained in how to do music with the special needs community. And I, right. um, you know, I went through a bachelor's and a master's degree in music education. And I think we had one class on, you know, special needs in general and nothing, nothing specifically in music. Right. And so I, I remember early on, I had a class where they had, we had a self-contained autism classroom and they would come to me for, you know, 20, 30 minutes of, of time separately. And I just, I didn't really know what to do with them because when, you know, they were all at different levels developmentally and I didn't have the information I needed to make that a meaningful time. And I think what they missed out on because I wasn't equipped to deal with that. Well, and I think they're, they're, you know, school, you know, educational institutions are getting better about recognizing that there is a need to learn how to teach students with special needs. What I think is unique about this book is that it's coming from the perspective of someone that has been doing it for almost a decade now, and has kind of been down in those teaching trenches. And, you know, it's not approached from this, sort of highfalutin academic mm-hmm. view. It's this is this is what I do. You know, it's it's all well and good to have this amazing lesson plan that sounds great in theory, but when a student comes in and runs under the piano and grabs mm-hmm. the legs and won't come out and you try to bribe her with let it go 5,000 yeah. times, but she's just like not coming out, mm-hmm. you know, that's the stuff that this book addresses, the reality of teaching this population, um, the reality of working with staff, because I mean, what's probably unique about my classroom versus a general music educator classroom is, you know, not only do I have five students, I have five staff members, Mm. um, because a lot of our students are one to one. So that's 10 personalities that I have to manage in one 30 minute block. Um, So there's a lot of that in there, you know, sort of how to maintain your boundaries, how to utilize staff most effectively, how to work with caretakers, you know, that are pushing themselves into the situation a little too much, things like that. Um, So I think it's it's definitely a, a resource that comes from experience. I love that. I, I think it's so, I, it's just so needed to have some real practical tips and, and encouragement and advice and, and the stories that you're sharing there. And that's Creative Miracles, a Practitioner's Guide to Adaptive Music Instruction by Kelly Surrett. And Kelly, how can uh, people find your book when it's out? So it will be coming out in we're hoping the fall. Yes. Um, and at that point, you can find my book on kellysurrett.com. It will also be on all the major, you know, retailers. But just for right now, we'll say kellysurrett.com. Perfect. And we'll, we'll be looking for that when it comes out. And Kelly, we're going to take a little break now and come back and talk a little bit about how you have transitioned into this new world of authorship as well. So you have been in the classroom and now you're an author. Yes. So how did, how did you get there? I, I got there in sort of just a crazy way. I, um, 
I have always said, you know, oh, I'm going to write a book one day about this process. And, you know, I've got a book in me somewhere and, you know, all that stuff you tell yourself. And one day I was listening to a podcast. I, I think it was, I've got to admit, I think it was Shaleen Johnson's podcast. Oh, I love her. <laughs> Yes, I think it was Shalene Johnson. And she was talking about um, how, you know, the, the, why are you waiting? You know, what are you waiting for? You only live once. What is there to wait for? And I, it kind of just hit me and like something just hit me over the head and was inside of me was just like, what are you waiting to write this book for? You have been in this field for a long time. You have so much to give why are you waiting? And so I just kind of sat down and wrote the book. Um, it took like a couple of weeks. I got the first draft. I mean, obviously when you write a book, there are many, many, many drafts, but yeah, I just sort of sat down and did it um, and let it just kind of all come out without judgment and without any inhibition, got it onto paper, and I've been kind of working with it ever since. Oh, and we're so glad you you did. It sounds like <laughs> it's a great resource. I mean, it's just having practical tips and also, you know, the inspiring stories and the real life examples of the experience that you've had is going to be such a gift to so many bookshelves of of teachers and administrators and all the people who are working in these situations. So I'm so thankful that you got inspired enough to... <laughs> She's like my virtual life coach. I love her. I know. I love her. Um, <laughs> what was the I mean, it's so different from being in the classroom, right? You, I mean, yeah. like, right. As a teacher and you have ideas, but I mean, it's just a different process. What was that like? Well, I think, um, it felt a lot of times like the book was just kind of coming through me rather than like uh, this hard thing I was doing. I'm a big, I'm a, I'm a very spiritual person and I'm a big meditator. Um, and so I kind of view my meditation time as an opportunity to connect with sort of the creative powers of the universe um, and kind of to refuel my creative self and, and that like side that needs to innovate. And so that's what I did when I felt like I was forcing it, I would stop. Um, and I really worked hard to maintain my balance throughout the whole process because in the past I've been the type to be like, I'm on a creative project. I don't eat, sleep or breathe anything else until the creative <laughs> project is done. Mm -hmm. This time around, I let the creative project breathe mm -hmm. and my, and I breathed and I think it's actually, it benefited from the, that being the process this time around. Now, now, how do you find time to write a book when you have, you, you have two children, right? I do. Yes. You, so you have a family, you have your own full-time job teaching. So I have a part-time job teaching, okay. but I am a mom of two daughters under the age of three. Hmm. Um, so it's a busy, it's a busy world. It's definitely a busy world. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I've just, been very clear and steadfast in my schedule. Um, so I wake up early before the kids wake up and that's my time to do self-care. That's when I exercise. That's when I meditate. And that's when I do a little bit of work. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, I'm, I'm 
I'm still very blessed to have two daughters that sleep a good three hours oh, in the afternoon. <laughs> yeah. So that's very helpful. So I'm able to work during that time. Um, and then after they go to bed, I can do a little bit of work and I, you know, I have a great husband who supports me on the weekends in taking time to write. Um, so it's, it's, but it, but it is a juggling act. And I think what's been very important to me and what I've tried to be like steadfast in is being present for the role I'm playing at a given time. So when I'm a writer, I'm trying to fully write, you know, my phone is on airplane mode, my computer, you know what I mean? Like I'm just very focused. Um, when I'm a mom, I'm present, I'm a mom and that's what I'm doing, you know? So I, I really try to be fully present in the roles that I play. And that's such a struggle. That's something I, I find that I struggle a lot with because so much of the work you can do, you can hold in your hand, you know, the social right. media work and stuff on your phone. And I, I can find myself saying, you know, this is my kid's time, but here I am, you know, doing yep. these important things are things that need to get done, but it's, it's hard to draw those boundaries and to enforce them on yourself when, when you have these passions and these things that you want to pursue. I think you're absolutely right. I think, and, 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 and no one is going to ever be 100% perfect at it. And you can't give into the guilt too much because, you know, when you start feeling guilty about the screen time or you start feeling guilty about, you know, being on your phone while you're with your kids and things like that. I mean, it happens when you're running a business or you're trying to create a personal brand, you're 24 hours a day. I mean, that's what you have to do. Um, but I think that there are ways to do it and kind of like know that, okay, so like, I know that before my kids go to bed, you know, those couple of hours are precious time where we're getting tubbies and we're reading books and we're getting ready for bed. Mm-hmm. You know, I know that in an hour I can pick up my phone again and do a little bit more work before I go to bed. Mm-hmm. Um, So I try to keep that time as sacred as possible. It's never 100% sacred, but I try. Yes. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's benefit too, to them seeing us work on our crafts and our passions and our creative side. You talked a little bit about that time that you have for creative energy and and meditation and focus. And I feel like when I first had children, I I felt really disconnected from my creative side and it was really depressing. Yeah. It was such a big part of me for so long, but just to have the mental space to work on those projects. And, and I think it's, it's important for our children to see us investing in creativity and, and pursuing things that we're passionate about. Well, I think that was another reason I wrote the book. I mean, I had my second daughter. I knew that at that point, you know, we were not going to have any more children. I got kind of beautiful. Like I got my body back. I got my, (laughs) my, you know, I I was, I was back to Kelly and it was like, well, what am I going to do next? And, and I thought, you know, I thought about it and I was like, how can I expect my two daughters to go out into the world and seize their dreams and be these warrior women? I want them to be, you know, if I'm not doing that myself. And it was a major transition. Like I had to truly go from being sort of like that mom doing like the bottles, the laundry, the bottles, the diapers, the laundry, the bottles, the diapers, the laundry and feeling, you know, like you said, depressed and lonely and sad. And like, who am I now? And just that total identity crisis to just being like, 
okay, it's time. It's time to step into my power, step into my transformation because of my daughters, mm-hmm. you know, and that's what I did. And I'm still scared. Every time I post on social media is like the scariest thing in the world for me. But I've decided that the way that I'm going to live my life is if I'm scared, I'm just going to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I've been doing. And I think that my daughters are seeing that change in me and that happiness in me because I'm now like, I I think it's hard to, it's almost riskier to stay small because that's, you know, you don't get to truly, that's the fear of like never truly living. Mm -hmm. So it's time to live and that's what I'm doing. And I'm taking these big risks and I'm putting myself out there in a big way because of my daughters and who I want them to be. And I want them to have this example. And it's so important. And, and I think like we can get so in our heads and, and focused on that negative self-talk of, you know, this isn't important or I'm not, you know, I'm not going to go anywhere with this, but that's just going to stop, you know, getting to where we want to be. There's, there's Uh, a way to get there except to do it. There is no time for negative self-talk. Like there is no time for it. There is no room for it. There is no time for it. And, you know, every time it starts to creep in, I just have to find a way to shut it down or accept it or just work through it to get to that other side of like, you know, okay, it's time. You know, that negative self-talk is just, I, I can fight that with gratitude. You know, I fight it with gratitude. I look at all of the amazing things that I do have. I look at, you know, if I start to feel envious of someone else or their accomplishments or what they're doing, I look at it and I go, but look at that potential that if I'm, if I'm caring enough to feel like I'm not doing enough, like they are, then there's that potential in me and that's exciting. Mm -hmm. So try to transform that negative self-talk. And, you know, like I said, if I want to accomplish a life worth living, I think there's no time for it, Mm. but it's hard. You know, it definitely is hard. And it's not to say it's not there. It just, I fight it tooth and nail, you know? And it's such a mindset shift to say, you know, when I see someone else out there doing something, it's not necessarily competition, it's opportunity. You know, if somebody else can do it, it can be done. And if that's what I want to do, if that's the life that I want to create, then I need to make the, you know, figure out what steps I need to do to get there. There's enough room in the world for everyone. Mm -hmm. And we all have a purpose and we're all here to live our greatest lives and be the best that we can be. No one's light shining takes anything away from your own light. Mm. Well, I, w- I want to talk a little bit about um, a setback that you told me about, you know, when sure. you first started working in education with special needs students, you had another role that you were playing before you were where you are now. Yes. So I was the executive director of a program that was of my creation. It was actually my thesis in graduate school um, that was specifically a program that provided performing arts opportunities for individuals with special needs. And I developed that program from one student to hundreds of students all across the state of Massachusetts where I live. Um, and I was riding high. I was the I was the director. I was the creator. I, you know, this was my program and I was able to hire 
you know, the people that I wanted to work with. Honestly, there were times where, you know, it was, you know, it was like Camelot. It felt like this beautiful faraway place that, oh my gosh, I made it, you know? But that did, that didn't last though. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> it seems to work out that easy. It, it never seems to. No, it didn't last. And you know what? It was the best thing that ever happened to me that it didn't last. Um, now, and did you realize that at the time, though? No, <laughs> no. Like I'm so thankful for that thing, but you know, those setbacks in the moment yeah. are just so hard. Yeah, honestly, it was one of the most devastating times of my life to have to walk away from something that I built because of the direction that it was going in and um, the people that were playing roles in the development of the of the program that, that, you know, I didn't believe in. I didn't believe in the integrity of what was happening. Um, It was a for profit model. um, And, you know, it just didn't it didn't fit with the students, the population, their needs, and what I envisioned. And so I I chose to walk away. And it was one of the hardest things I ever had to do. I spent a summer not working. Um, I had a new baby, I was a new mom. um, And it was it was the, probably one of the hardest summers of like building picking, picking myself up off the ground and putting back together the pieces enough to be able to go back out there and like, stage a comeback, you know, and I think that in many ways, my book is is a taking back of my story. It's taking back what I felt was taken from me and showing the world what I am capable of doing with the students that I work with. I think we can get caught up on like, this didn't work out. This was the thing. And, and there's just so many things and there's no way for us to really know exactly what's going to be, you know, going into it, where our place is. And the the fact that you've been able now to create a place, not just for you as a music teacher, but exploring, um, you know, writing and speaking and all of those things that you're doing where you're able to make an impact with the experiences you've had. I just think that's amazing. Well, thank you. Yeah. I mean, I think for anyone out there that is like in their setback, I think it's really important to remember like that those are the opportunities where you get to see what you're made of and grow stronger and be, and, and, and then step into what it was supposed to be all along. Like, that's how I feel now. I feel like, you know, I had this passion for this thing and other people looked at that passion and saw dollar signs, Mm -hmm. you know, and I didn't want to believe that at the time because I wanted it to be the thing, you know? And then when it all came crashing down and I had to pick myself back up, it, it forced me into the life I'm living now, which is I'm doing this for me and I'm doing it for my, my students and my daughters. And that's how it was always supposed to be. I just didn't know it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm so glad you've gotten to this point where we can, you know, pick up some of your experiences and and words um, through your blog and through your writing. And it's just such a gift, I think, to, to people who are helping to bring music education to more people. If you haven't already, check out Kelly's blog. She's at kellysurrette.com. That's K-E-L-L-Y-S-U-R-E-T-T-E.com. Or you can find her on Instagram at adaptive underscore music underscore maker. And her book, Creative Miracles, A Practitioner's Guide to Adaptive Music Instruction, will be coming out hopefully fall 2019. 
So thank you, Kelly, so much for joining us and sharing your experiences. This has been a great conversation. Thank you so much, Jessica. I am just so thrilled to be here. And, uh, you know, thank you to you. Yes, my pleasure. Thank you.